You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, let's pray. All right, Jesus, thanks for your goodness, your loving kindness, and uh, thank you for this opportunity to talk about your truth and your goodness. And I pray that you'd bless us, give us wisdom and guidance. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Hava, would you mind shutting that door? Thanks, friend. We do have a worksheet. Uh, there you go, right there. Glad you got it. Okay, so we're in the middle of a series, a seven-week seven series, and it's about three questions every child asks. And it's, it's kind of uh, came to me, I, I interviewed this woman named um, Kara Powell on the Rooted Parent podcast. She'd written a book called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, Making the Most of Your Conversations and Connections. And so in that conversation, we talked about how um, generally, like at an existential level, um, you're, you know, these kind of what seem, seem like they may be trivial issues or mundane issues in your child's life, um, you know, battles over like what they wear and um, to school and battles over, you know, their friends, all this drama over friends and things of that nature. Um, you know, you've got what's going on at the surface, but then below, at the heart level, there's something much greater and much more like existential going on. And so, Kirsch made the point that at these times, generally, there are one of three questions or three things at play. It can be, it's, it can be one, it can be all three. But questions of identity, like who am I? Um, when your child wants to wear the combat boots to school, quite possibly a question of identity. Um, questions of belonging, like where do I fit in? Do I fit in? And then finally, questions of purpose, like what, what difference do I make? Like what is my role in the world? And so, um, so what we're doing here is in these, we're taking two weeks on each of these questions. And so we're on the second week of purpose. And, um, and so the first week we talked about, we, we, we basically distill the purpose, um, taking it from question number one from the Westminster Confession of Faith, and that is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so first week we focused on the enjoy, like to know God. And so the first half, you know, the one, one way in which we can think about your child's purpose is to know God, to know him. Um, and today we're going to talk about glorifying God. Um, Anybody, any good, uh, any good kids who are catechized here, how do we glorify God by? Come on now. Someone was, how do we glorify God? Westminster Shorter Catholic. Hobble, you have to know this. Oh, wow. You, you, your dad was a teacher at Briarwood. You have to know this. How do we glorify God? By loving him and doing all he commands. Yes, Oscar, there you go. John Halsey, come on, man. Come on. We're going to revoke your degree from Westminster Theological Seminary. Um, yeah, how do we glorify God by loving him and doing all he commands? And so before we get into kind of the, um, kind of the Bible and the doctrine of this, I think that uh, as I've been kind of working on this and thinking about it this week, I think that a lot of the way that we think about purpose, particularly as it pertains to our kids, is a lot about what they do and less about how they do it. Um, there's this, let me say it again, what, it's more, but, but in reality, it's more about how we do it than about what we do. So here's what I mean by that. 
there, if you, when you read about um, particularly like suburban parents, suburban American parents, a huge, huge, almost dominant focus for American parents is their child finding their thing, finding their thing. A lot of elementary school is spent, you know, like we try a little bit of this activity and try a little bit of that activity and we're going to try to find out what's the thing we're going to focus on and like, okay, we found that Johnny's a really good soccer player and so now we're going to, you know, buy the cleats and we're going we're gonna to go Busa or we're going to go Vestavia, we're going to do the academy and we're all in. And, um, and, and so that's, uh, there's a, an, an author named um, Andrew Root and he wrote a book that's kind of like a youth ministry specific book, but it has a, it had a, has a lot of insights into some of the, the themes in American parenting. And, and that's what he talked about is the, f he kind of did qualitative research talking to lots of parents. And so much of the focus was on helping their child find their thing, find their thing. And so, you know, and again, usually their thing is like something that they're good at that they enjoy. Competence and, you know, gratification. And then like, that is, that is like a huge purpose of the parent. And so um, some of you know, like that whole finding your child's thing is quite a journey. Um, it's a pretty stressful journey. And, um, and it's, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that it's what we're central to what we're called to as parents. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think finding your child's thing and then blessing them with all resources, making all sacrifices for them to excel in their thing, that, that is, that's really at the middle, you know, at the, at the bullseye. A when you do a biblical theology of parenting, you don't really see anything about that. Um, and so let's not say that it's all bad. It's, you know, we, we want to pray about where, what our child is called to do and called to be. But I think that, you know, as our kids kind of go through life, I was just thinking about how there's so much more disappointment as a child when it comes to like the, the twists and turns of life than there really is as an adult. Um, there are just so many like transitions and so many inflection points and so many shifts in like social circles. Like being, finding, it is very common, it's really a majority experience that children feel really disappointed with their lot in life um, as they move, you know, continue to grow and they're a pre-adolescent and they're an adolescent and so on and so forth. You know, it's like, man, I really had these expectations that I was going to have a group of friends and I had that group of friends, but then they all dispersed over, you know, something. Um, or, I, gosh, I was really really thought I was going to be a basketball star or I was going to, you know, be a musician or whatever it is. And it just doesn't work out. And so, um, and I think, you know, we all, you know, as adults, we, we have our disappointments too. I just, I feel like it's just more frequent and a little more crushing when you're a kid, when like you're just not going in the, um, going, life's not going the way that you expect it. And I find for myself that when I, when I find myself disappointed in those kind of ways and I start to get the woe is me's, the poor me, poor Cameron, poor Cameron, is like the good question that helps to kind of center me is like, what does, what does this twist or turn or disappointment have to do with me glorifying God today? Like it really, it's really not about like where I am or where I move. That is, that is subject to the providence of God. Like that's God's call. Like my position in life, 
my position in any any you know any area of our life, any, our position in life. There's only so much we have control over, and 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 honestly, where you are is where God has you. Where God where you are is the exact place God intends for you to be today. And so so with that being said, that's that's kind of letting go of the what we do, and more embracing the how we do it. So, so with that being said, you know, for a child, I'll say this for me, big disappointment. This is so funny. I was talking to someone about, um, my elementary school, uh, athletic career just like 10 minutes ago. Uh, I peaked in fourth grade. All right. Um, I, yeah, I peaked in fourth grade. Puberty was a real equalizer. Um, and yeah, I was so tall that in like fourth grade basketball with the eight and a half foot goal, I could grab the rim. That's how tall I was. And uh, I, was, I was just about five feet tall in kindergarten. Sorry to some of you who may be a little more on the petite side, like I was taller than the kindergarten aide in kindergarten. <laughs> I was, for real. Miss Beth, God bless her. Um, and so when you're that tall, you know, like sports really work out for you, you know? And when you can grab the rim in fourth grade basketball, like you're gonna win all the games. Well, and, then, and so yeah, that was a big part of my identity. Well then, let me just tell you, puberty, Puberty was the great equalizer, and I was just a huge bench warmer for the rest of my, you know, with basketball, just a bench warmer. Baseball in high school, just a bench warmer. And I was such a spoiled brat about it, right? And so what would have been helpful for me, would have been helpful for me to, to know the theology of the cross, to know that, like, God's usually more at work when we're failing than when we're succeeding. Um, that would have been helpful. But it also would have been helpful for me to have a voice to say, like, your, your purpose is to glorify God wherever you are. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, by God's providence that you uh, only played nine innings your junior year of high school baseball in a 50-game year. <laughs> and, uh, and so maybe instead of complaining persistently on the bench and being bitter and resentful that you're not getting to play, maybe, maybe we should lean into your purpose that God has given you, and that is to glorify God. Maybe you could be a God-glorifying bench warmer uh, instead of just a big fat whiner. Um, and so, so with that being said, um, there is something really freeing um, and really comforting about knowing that our purpose is more about how we do it than what we do. Um, and that that purpose is to know God and then to glorify him. So let's talk about today what it means to glorify God. And, um, yeah, and I would, I would first, um, I would, one thing I would note too is like, when we think about purpose, we tend to think about action and impact. And uh, those things aren't inherently bad, but when we talk about the core purpose that we see biblically, both of these things have some level of passivity. Um, knowing God is, yeah, we actively know God, but that's not something that we, where we perform and achieve. That's something where we know the Lord through his word and through prayer and, um, yeah, and so, and we receive that. Uh, glorifying God is, like, we do glorify God, but really, we, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to abide in Christ um, to bear the fruit that glorifies God. And so, one thing that will be helpful on your little sheet here is to know the difference between the blessedness of God and the glory of God. Um, whenever, I said this last week, but, you know, when you hear, uh, when I hear, like, I just want to glorify God, I think, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I think Tim Tebow, 
Um, you know, we just won the game. I'd first like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what I think about, you know, like we win so we can have a platform so we can give all the glory to God. That's, that's a little bit more than that. Um, <laughs> so the blessedness of God, it, it pertains to God's inward pleasure with himself. Um, the, the pleasure the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have within their relationship and their inner communion within the Trinity. So God is, you know, the, the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are revealing themselves to one another, and they are enjoying, they are enjoying the glory of each other as one God. That's the blessedness of God. And, um, yeah, and God is very, is completely satisfied and content within himself. He does not need, he doesn't need people outside himself to please him. He doesn't need us to do anything for him to be perfectly okay. He is perfectly okay as he is. He has made us to enjoy his glory as a gift. That's a grace. That's a kindness of the Lord. So the glory of God is his outward expression of who he is to beings outside himself. That being angels, that being people, it is the outward expression of God. So it's us being able to see his beauty and his majesty and his holiness and his goodness and his love and his generosity, all these attributes. So that you can see in your little, your fancy picture, y'all can see I, I, I got a degree in graphic design here. But you can see that the arrow is pointed out. So then, if um, there are two parts to glorifying God. Um, let's go to our second page here. Uh one part of glorifying God, for us to glorify God, is that we see his glory, we see his greatness and his, his majesty, and we respond with praise. That's part of glorifying God. So worshiping God is glorifying God. That's, that's one aspect of it. Psalm 50, 14 through 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And perform your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So in this sense, when he says, you shall glorify me, he's saying, when you see my character and you see my saving actions, you will praise me. You will, you will have seen who I am, and you will respond by praising me. So part of glorifying God, really the starting point, is to respond to his outward expression of his goodness by praising him. And that's why, um, that's why if our purpose is to know and glorify God, a starting point is corporate worship. That's kind of ground center for life. Because in corporate worship, part of it is we are being reminded of and we are seeing who God is. We are knowing God by you know, the preaching of the word and prayer and um, the reading of the word and those kind of things. And we're responding to that by praising him and worshiping him. Um, yeah, so the corporate worship is a distillation of the rhythm of life. Knowing God, responding to God, to, to that knowledge by glorifying him. All right, so that's the first thing. The second part of God's glory, of glorifying God, is that we are vehicles through which God reveals his character. Um, so let's think about that. If the glory of God is his outward expression, thinking the arrow is going out, then it makes sense that for us to glorify God is he is using us as a means by which he uh, reveals his character. Um, and so when it says, how do we glorify God? By loving him 
and doing all he commands, like when we live uh, under his commandments, the, the, we are living in a way that is like Christ. When Christ says that he completes the law, like he lives the law perfectly. Alan Ross once said, uh, the law is a picture of what God would look like if he came down to earth and he lived as a human being. So, since God did come to the earth and live like a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, and he perfectly fulfilled the law, then he is, Jesus and everything he did revealed the glory of God. Let's so keep in mind, back to this, it's not what we do, it's how we do it. There was nothing in a worldly sense impressive about what Jesus did. I mean, the miracles were very impressive. Don't get me wrong on that. Quite a resume builder. Um, but but, um, but in terms of, he was a carpenter. You know, he was a carpenter and he was a, a poor itinerant preacher. That's, you know, that's not like stellar LinkedIn material. Um, but the way he did it is what glorified God. Um, and so we can see, um, you can see here as we talk about us glorifying God, John 12, 27 through 28 says, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So to glorify your name is to outwardly express your character. And so Jesus is praying for that. And then in John 17, Jesus um, prays that his people will glorify him, will glorify the Father. That we will, we will outwardly, he will use us to outwardly express his character. And so you can see this gradient, more impressive graphic design here. Uh, seeing God's glory, like that's knowing God. We start there, we know God first. That leads to a response where we glorify God through praising him. And then that leads to us glorifying God by revealing his attributes in the way we live. So that is the progression um, in terms of purpose. So you can see here, like, keep in mind, like, what we're thinking about is ground zero for your child struggling with, why do I have to go to school? Like, this is so stupid. I'm never, I'm going to be a lawyer. Why do I have to do Algebra 2? Anybody had that conversation yet? Like, this is so dumb. Who cares about, you know, the War of 1812? Um, I, you know, I, I remember that. That was, that was like a common refrain as a kid. It's like, it's, it, it's, uh, God has placed you in Algebra 2 to glorify him. Like, there is purpose in sitting in your class and the way that you relate to your classmates and the way you relate to your teacher. There is purpose in that, and it's to glorify God. Um, all right, so with that being said, we're going to look at Galatians 6, 16 through 26. And um, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, kind of a, this, sorry, this is Galatians 5. I, 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 uh, I, that's a little typo there. Um, see, I'm, just, I'm hating on all the PCA kids who forgot their catechism, and here I can't even get Galatians 5 right. Um, okay, so starting in verse 16, I'll read. So, but I say, walk by the Spirit. By the way, context of this is like, okay, if, if my job is to glorify God, well, how do I do that? I mean, does it mean I just go out there and I try to be really nice and really good? It's like, well, you might want to start, uh, start back with what we're going to talk about here with the Spirit. Um, and actually, before we do that, let's, let's do the John 15 passage. This is the John 15, Jesus is the vine, you know, we are the branches, apart from you can do nothing. Jesus says, 
Abide in you and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This language of bearing fruit is the language of glorifying God. Like, to, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to bear the fruit of Christ, is to glorify God. And you can see he, um, there's this language of fruit here in John 15, and we're going to use the language of fruit in Galatians 5. And abide, you know, Jesus says, abide in me. That's how, that's, 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 that's the input. Like, we don't necessarily have a great deal of control over the output. Like, we desperately need the Holy Spirit, and we need Christ in us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to bear the attributes of God's character. We don't inherently um, have those things. We can't manufacture those things. Those are from the Lord. They must flow through us. So abiding means to dwell in. Uh, It really means to cultivate intimacy, to cultivate intimate relationship with Christ. It's, yeah. So we're going to go, let's go back over to, we'll come back to that. Let's go over to uh, Galatians 5. All right, so it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that as those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, so to, um, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit. Well, this is something really cool in Greek grammar, um, and that is that there is, this is a, a dative, and it's not clear on whether it's a dative of means or a dative of manner, which I know that means a tremendous amount to everybody in this room. But basically, here's what that means. It's like, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, what it means is, on one hand, to walk by the Spirit means that the power of our life is the Holy Spirit. Um, the input that we need, that we, the power that we live under, is the power of the Spirit. So that's, the, that's means. But when we're talking about the manner, dative of manner, then what it means to walk by the Spirit is we walk in a manner that is consistent with God's law and with the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a means and a manner. It, it, it both, both in there together, I think, I think it's deliberately ambiguous and that both are in play. I don't think it's an either or. The beauty of Greek is that there's this level of density and breadth and ambiguity that things like this can happen. All right, so, so he's saying, you know, just as Jesus says in John 15, abide in me, cultivate intimacy with me, He's saying walk out of the power of the Spirit, not relying on yourself, but relying, relying on God, walking by faith. And you will not gratify the, the, the desires of the flesh. Okay, so when he talks about the flesh and the Spirit, 
This operates at two levels. One level, um, he's talking at a big picture, uh, redemptive, historical, biblical narrative level. So this, Paul uses these different language paradigms to, um, to describe life before Jesus came and life after Jesus came. So after Jesus came, Christ has come, he's died for our sins, he has risen, he's ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, and, um, and so this is a new age. And sometimes he talks about that as the kingdom of God, sometimes he talks about that as the new creation, sometimes he talks about that as the light, and sometimes he talks about that as the spirit versus the flesh. And so here he's talking about the spirit of the flesh. So a part of walking by the spirit versus the flesh is remembering the gospel, remembering um, okay, yeah. Hey, look, this is, this is the situation I live in. Like, Jesus has come. He's died for my sins. He's saved me. He's brought me into his kingdom. My home is in heaven. His Holy Spirit dwells in me. That right there is a sanctifying thing. That is the thing that gives us perspective. That is the thing that chills us out. That is the thing that leads us under God's power. Um, so when he's talking about the flesh, he, in a sense, is talking about, like, this is how you naturally would walk um, in like pre-Christ. Not to say that we don't continue to sin. We obviously continue to sin like crazy. Um, but but that's, 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 that's the big picture level. And then at the individual level, he's talking about day by day as an individual walking under the power of the Spirit versus walking out of our own strength and out of our own intuition. And, um, so anyhow, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So this is the fruit of when we're not abiding in Christ, when we are not depending on the Holy Spirit, when we are forgetting the gospel. These are the fruit. Um, it says sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions. I, it's funny, in my notes I have, here's the middle school section. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions. <laughs> that's, a, that is, that's middle school sin right there. Um, and then we move into high school. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. That's, that's high school and college. Am I right? I mean, it's like he lays it out there, you know? Um, yeah, that, that, hopefully not high school, but probably maybe a little bit, and definitely some college. Um, but, um, but you can see it's interesting. There are some things that kind of overlap. But you can see, you know, like, think, think about, um, holy cow. Holy cow, middle school girls. Holy cow. Like dissension, strife, division, rivalries. I mean, it's uh, there's just so much of that. There's just so much that. Sorry, I mean it's I mean it's not quite as prevalent with boys. I mean sin is evenly distributed. Uh, you know, boys' sin maybe is uh, more manifest in our second part. But um, but with that being said, like this is very this is very normal. Like as, if, as I'm reading this, if you're if you've got a middle schooler. Or pre-adolescent, you're like, oh yeah, we're there, man. We are there. Like that is where we live, um, and that's a that is. There's there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of envy. I mean, it's true at any age. Like like I said, we don't outgrow sin, but I mean, it's kind of unfiltered um, at these younger ages. And so um, so with that being said, like for your child to glorify God. Um, like teaching your child to go, to helping your child understand their purpose in a, in a friend group could be like, hey, you know, you abstain 
from being the pot stirrer who, you know, festers and feeds and brews the division and the dissension and the passive-aggressive gossip and that kind of stuff. That's, that's what it looks like to glorify God. And let me just say, if you are a person who does not do those things, who abstains from those things, you stand out. You stand out in middle school if, um, if, if, you, if that's true of you. Um, moving on to the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right, so um, first things I would say is like joy and peace, first, they don't really have anything to do with how we relate to other people. Um, the, the, you know, they, they really have to do with how we relate to God. We have joy and peace through the gospel and through intimacy with Christ. Um, but then we get into these uh, types of, to these fruit that have to do with how we relate to others, like being patient, being kind, um, being good, being faithful, which means trustworthy, um, being gentle, uh, being self-controlled. Again, if you are a pre-adolescent child, a middle school child, a high school child, who is um, who's loving and joyful and peaceful, think about how anxious everybody is. If you, if you have peace, especially as a parent, if you have peace like through your confidence and in the goodness and the love of God, that is a, you stand out. You stand out in this world. Everybody is very anxious uh, in this world. It's like some like 50% of teenagers today have like a diagnosable, not a diagnosable, but say that they struggle with overwhelming anxiety. Um, so if you're a person who has peace, like people look at you and they're like, something is different about you, that you're not so worried. That's a, when we talk about like witnessing, witnessing to the resurrection, which, you know, one part of witnessing is sharing the gospel, but in terms of like glorifying God, to be a person who's at peace, like you majorly glorify God. You stand out in a way where people are like, this is, this is something I'm not, that's a little bit foreign, that I don't often see. Um, gosh, you know, if you're a, if you're a teenager who has self-control, you know, this is particularly talking about self-control relative to sensuality, like sexuality, partying, stuff like that, you really stand out. Like it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a way that we glorify God. And so, so with me, it says, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. So basically if, if the spirit is the source of our life, then let the spirit be what directs our course and what determines our actions. So a prayer I do in the morning is, um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would govern my thoughts and my desires. I pray that you would govern the way that I view people and relate to people. And I pray that you would govern what I say and what I do. May I not say anything unless it is of the Spirit, and may I not do anything unless it is of the Spirit. It's something we have to ask the Spirit to help us do. Um, and so bringing it all home, a few takeaways. We just didn't have much time today, guys. I'm really sorry. Both services went pretty long. Um, but a, a few takeaways here. I think something to just kind of hammer home for your kids is it's not so much what you do, it's how you do it. Like that in terms of like our purpose, like wherever you are, you are there by God's providence and you have opportunity and you have purpose in glorifying God there, whatever it is, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a work, you work at Chick-fil-A to make a little side hustle, you're a babysitter, um, you are, you know, you're in the band, you're you're a musician, whatever it is, like wherever you are, there's purpose. There's opportunity for impact. 
just by glorifying God, just by walking in the Spirit and trusting the Spirit to manifest the glory of God in our lives. There's purpose. I got to say, that is incredibly empowering. When you're a student, you has to go to school every day. Because, I, I mean, going to school is very hard for a child to see a sense of purpose in that, other than, like, building a resume to go to college. And, it's, and that, that's not terribly sustainable. Um, second, it brings meaning to the mundane things. I've already covered it, but um, just the, the, the little moments of life have significant kingdom uh, meaning because there's an opportunity to glorify God. Um, and then finally, I just to land the plane here, uh, since we're out of time, um, it's like, I think it's very helpful. I think it's very helpful to have short, memorable, repeated maxims as a parent. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of like over communication to say the same thing over and over again. I kind of always joke about my dad, like when it came to church and we complain, we don't go to church, I don't have to go to church. My dad would say, God gives us seven days a week, we can give him one morning, son. Um, you know, there's, that's maybe not theologically like right on the money, but, uh, but he did have a point, you know, like God has given us so much, like this isn't a huge sacrifice. Like he died on the cross for your sins, like a couple hours at church on Sunday morning, not a huge sacrifice, Okay. So, but I can remember it. He said the same thing over and over again, right? And then, of course, what do we do? Roll your eyes. But here, you know, to think about like purpose and say like to know God and to glorify God, to know God and to glorify God, like that's it, you know? And so, um, and just to kind of remind your child of that, that's the, that's the first question of the whole Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? To know God and enjoy him forever. And so, sorry, to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, this is a good little mom and dad maxim. Like, hey, what's our purpose here? Is to know God and to glorify Him. And so, like today, there is there's so much potential, so much potential in your mundane day, because you have the opportunity to 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 abide in Christ, to live under the Spirit, and to trust God to let the fruit of the Spirit flow through you in a way that people can see the glory of Jesus in your life. So let me uh, pray for us, and um, I'm happy to hang around and answer questions. Jesus, um, this is this is so easy to say and so hard to do. So let it start for, for us as parents. Help us first to to um, to know you and to enjoy you, Lord, and to joy who you are, enjoy your grace and your goodness and your kindness towards us, to joy life with you. Um, and uh, Lord, help us to, to abide in you and to walk under the Spirit that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit. We can't manufacture this, God. It's not it's not something that we can generate ourselves, but, um, but, but you can do that, and you desire to do that, and so we submit ourselves to you and ask for your help. So we trust you. Ask your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 